Welcome to the Materials Inside Special Edition podcast in celebration of Pride Month. Over the course of this mini-series, we've invited guests from the LGBTQI community to talk to us about their experiences and opinions on a range of both interesting and often sensitive subjects. Throughout the series, we will be supporting Black Beetle Health, a charity which is intentional about their fight against racism, stigma and misinformation which negatively affect the health outcomes and experiences of LGBTQI plus black and people of colour. Goodfellow is a UK materials company based in Huntingdon, however this month we are taking a step back from materials to fully embrace and celebrate pride. While these podcasts solely represent the views of the guests involved, Goodfellow fully support their staff and customers who identify as part of the LGBTQI plus community. Throughout Pride Month, we'll be talking about LGBTQ plus art, sports, hobbies, health and community. Today we are talking about pride in art. With a license to freely express yourself, it is unsurprising that the LGBTQI plus community often find themselves feeling most comfortable when creating art. Our first guest of the special Pride Edition series is no other than the drag superstar Anaphylatic. Known from starring Drag SOS, Anna's career spans across theatre, film and television. Currently, Anna is performing in Death Drop at Garrick Theatre and will be starring in the upcoming film Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Hello, Anna. Hello, nice to meet you. (laughs) So tell us, how did you get into drag? I first got into drag, um, this is many years ago, I used to work for a nightclub um, which is closed in Manchester and they did a a number of different nights um, called Bad Drag actually um, and it was an opportunity for the, the staff to kind of um, dress up and get, it was a bit of a competition <laughs> uh, which I enjoy um, so I, I kind of partook in in that and then I was I, I was always one that liked kind of dressing up at parties and things as well so I was always in the dressing up box but it wasn't until about 2011 um, someone was starting up a new club night and um, I'd just done a a film called Worried About the Boy, which was based in the 80s about kind of um, club kids and things. And I I kind of got to dress up a lot as as a character in that film. And I popped into my friend's heads and he decided to offer me um, a a job working on the door for a couple of weekends, um, which kind of snowballed into a career. Um, So yeah, that's how I started drag. And uh, you said you started uh, back in 2011? It was back in 2011 professionally, but uh, I'd say before that I was always kind of um, experimenting a little bit at parties, kind of dressing up and any opportunity to to wear a fancy outfit or yeah, dig around in the dressing up box, I was there. I actually got told off um, by one of my uh, theatre tutors. We went back for a like reunion at drama school and... Um, uh, because I'd just done this film, they're, they're asking what my favourite thing about doing the film was and I was like, oh, being in makeup for about 40 minutes every day and, and getting to dress up in all these fabulous outfits and my, my acting tutor was like, but there's more to it than that, there's more to it than that and I was, I was like, no, I don't think there is actually, not for me. <laughs> I like the costumes and the lights and, and stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we're going to talk about, about 
the film in, in, in a little bit, but before that, you also um, been part of Drag SOS, uh, where you inspire people to be themselves, um, open up and become more confident. What advice would you have for anyone listening who is struggling with their confidence? Definitely get a crack team of drag queens um, to come and <laughs> come and dress you up and um, listen to you and uh, guide you and uh, and failing that, um, just surround yourself with with people that believe in you and support you and encourage you to do things. And I think um, I think everyone has varying degrees of uh, struggling with the aspects of self confidence and things. But I think for me, I think it's. Uh, with with drag especially it's kind of pushing yourself and uh, putting yourself out there in kind of a um, a really extreme way and then you can bring elements of that into your regular everyday life so it's you know I'm, I'm not doing this every single day I think that would be a bit kind of insane <laughs> doing it doing it every day but um, uh, I've certainly kind of uh, taken things, you know, doing drag and, and brought it into my own um, everyday life. So I think, yeah, kind of putting yourself out there um, and j just experimenting. I think uh, play is a very big thing, isn't it? Like, uh, I think we kind of lose that in life. The older that we get, we, we kind of experiment and play a lot less. And I think drag for me is about kind of experimenting and playing and, and doing things and you, you find things that work for you that don't necessarily work for anyone else. So, yeah, I think it, it's about play and experimenting and, and, yeah, pushing yourself. Do it. And I think there's a lot of support, there's lots of help in between all of you on, on the drag world. So, so this drag um, SOS, um, how did that start? Uh, drag SOS, um, it started... Uh, Cheddar was kind of talking with um, a production company and they came and met us all in Manchester. Uh, so they came to the Drag Lab and uh, it was summer films. They came and met with everyone and interviewed us all. And then they decided to come again on another day and we, we kind of just put together a, a bonkers day on a Sunday. We kind of um, came up with a, a show. So we, we kind of had someone come along um, and we created like a pilot um, episode. So we uh, all took on different jobs and literally in, a, in an afternoon uh, took this person and kind of created a, a drag persona for them at the, at the drag lab. And then that was kind of edited into a bit of an episode and shown to Channel 4 and then Channel 4 snapped it up straight away and then all of a sudden we were commissioned to do a, a series. And uh, can we look forward for a second season? Unfortunately not, no, I don't think Channel 4 are, um, are going to pick it up again, so that's a shame. We're out on Out TV, I think, and we're on BritBox at the moment, and I think more, more and more people are watching it, and we're getting kind of messages from people that are, are kind of seeing it for the first time, so who knows what the future will bring, but um, at the moment, as it stands, Channel 4 aren't commissioning a second series, so... That's a bit sad. Yeah, we need to wait and see uh, and see if, if we get a, a second season at some point. Um, one of the first steps towards becoming a drag queen is the name. Uh, what's the story behind your drag name? The story behind my drag name, um, it was literally um, the, the first job that I was offered. It was for a night called Aftershock. So I was kind of trying to... Um, 
come up with a shock related name so I came up with lots of rubbish names as well by the way um, but uh, anaphylactic was always a, a word that I quite liked I thought kind of um, I thought was quite a, a fun word to say I used to work um, well I still do actually I do a lot of work at the medical school so it's kind of a, a word that came up a few times it was on, on my top 10 list of, of names that I wanted and um, yeah I just went with that and yeah, kind of works, doesn't it? <laughs> you use a lot of fun and unique materials in your drag. Uh, which materials are your favourite to work with? At the moment, um, I'm really enjoying using uh, like a foam clay, um, just because I've got quite into sculpting and it's a really useful material because it's quite lightweight and you can, you can change its consistency so you can make it um, you can use water to make it um, more malleable um, or you can use moulds with it. Um, yeah, I'm really enjoying foam clay and foam sheets um, uh, and kind of making stuff out of that. Um, but I, I'm enjoying kind of experimenting with like moulds and things as well. Um, and you can make things look, yeah, a lot harder, like kind of armour and... Yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting material. So uh, I've been making cakes and things with it as well, um, like kind of cakes and food items and things. And I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with any of those things yet, but they'll probably end up on my head or <laughs> as part of a costume at some point, I'm sure. And uh, normally uh, drag is, is, is seen as very expensive. Uh, is drag expensive? And what would you say to someone who'd like to give drag a try, but doesn't have a big, a big budget? There's a few questions there. Uh, I think, firstly, I'd say anyone that wants to give drag a try, go for it. It doesn't have to be expensive. I think um, at the moment, we've got like a million different series of RuPaul everywhere. We, we, you know, we've got RuPaul down under the UK version, the American version. And th th there's been a lot, a lot of articles and things recently about the amount of money that people are spending on drag to, to go on the show. And it's, it's crazy money. Um, but drag certainly doesn't have to be expensive. I think a lot of people fall into that trap of wanting to be perfect and wanting to kind of emulate these people that are on RuPaul's Drag Race and have the biggest, best outfits. And actually, I think a lot of the, the fun aspects of drag come from um, experimenting and using different things to create looks. And certainly when I, I, I was first starting drag, it wasn't about going and buying the most expensive outfits and getting things made for you. It was finding bargains in charity shops and um, I'd often go to like hardware shops or uh, you know places like, I don't know if I can say the names of places, but places that sell kind of electrical things or um, you know things that you'd make up your house with or, or, or you know stuff that you do, uh, I don't know, fixing up things around the house and stuff and I'd kind of create things out of cable ties or um, stuff that that wouldn't usually be worn and would be kind, kind of cheap materials and things but you could kind of creatively make a headpiece or creatively make an outfit or, or turn an old lampshade into a, a hat or you know find a hubcap on the street and kind of turn that into a headpiece and stuff so I, th I think um, I think drag can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be. Yeah, no, that, that's a great message there. I think it's really important for people to understand that there's, of course, you mentioned uh, RuPaul Drag Race and 
and there's there's some room especially on, on second edition of how much money some of the the, the, the contestants spent on on that uh, um, and uh, and you know when when someone young they don't have a, a big budget but really wants to to show and there's a lots of, of talent out there uh, so it's important for people to understand they can do both ways not necessarily just on a, on a big budget. In the last year, of course, we all been affected by uh, by this pandemic and how uh, the pandemic and the lockdown um, affected uh, your your drag career. Um, I think like most drag queens, um, you know, as, as soon as the pandemic happened, uh, you know, all our work went out of the window because most of our work is in hospitality. So um, working in bars and clubs and uh, restaurants and in cabaret and uh, and things and obviously all of that went so we weren't able to do most of our work because drag is quite a social thing drag you, you know puts you out there and you're meeting lots of different people and all, all of that went with the pandemic so everything kind of went online um, and I, I did get involved in quite a few things to start off with online but I think one of the reasons that I enjoy drag is the the kind of social aspect and meeting people and making those connections. And even with performance, actually, you've got that kind of connection with an audience and that, that kind of exchange of energy and, and things in live performance anyway. Um, and a lot of the online stuff, I, I really wasn't getting that. So I think I kind of just ended up being creative in other ways to kind of um creating things at the studio really so i was very fortunate in in that i had got you know the the studio to to go to and um kind of go and make and do and and things like that so i focused a lot of my energy on on that as opposed to trying to do performances and and things i did learn some new skills though actually i, I kind of learned um you know how to edit videos and uh, put together stuff which i never thought i'd be able to do so um, at least I've got some new skills out of everything anyway. I think most drag queens have. <laughs> I think it's great to take away some positive out of, of, out of this, uh, this lockdown. Uh, before the lockdown, and I know that uh, you, uh, you star in the new film, Everybody's Talking About Jamie, um, I had the chance to, to, to see the, the musical a few years ago, a couple of years ago in, in London. Uh, what can we expect from the film? Ah, it's going to be amazing. It's actually, uh, they've just announced it's going to be released on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think the 17th of September. So it, it's slightly, um, slightly frustrating because we all wanted like a big cinematic release, but obviously the pandemic pushed everything back and then pushed everything back and we were put into, you know, another lockdown. So it, it was kind of scheduled for, I think, two different cinema release dates and then um, now I think the the only option that they had maybe were or uh, I'm not really sure why the decision was made for it to go straight onto Amazon Prime but um, yeah it's going to be released then in September and it, I think at least then you know everyone can get to see it at the same time so but yeah I think uh, I think quite a few of us were a little bit disappointed that we're not going to get the red carpet moment but um, yeah, the film is going to be really, really exciting. I mean, it, it, from what I've seen, you know, filming on the days and watching through the little monitor and stuff, it's, um, you know, it's visually spectacular. I mean, if you've seen the musical, like the the songs are amazing, the stories 
fabulous and you know you've got lots of amazing performers and actors and things and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Sarah Lancashire's performance um, I worked with Richard E Grant a little bit on the scenes that we did but I'm looking forward to seeing all of it actually and Max Harwood the the lead is spectacular so yeah it's exciting on lots of different levels looking forward for for September and and to be able to to see it so tell us a little bit more about the new West End production that you are in Death Drop uh, and how it's going so far uh, yeah so Death Drop it's um, a, a parody of you know, those kind of uh, murder mystery, Agatha Christie. In fact, we're called uh, a Dragatha Christie murder mystery. Um, so it's like a parody of all those fabulous murder mysteries. Um, and, and weirdly, I don't know if it was, you know, uh, that it was decided because of this, but the mousetrap is literally round the corner and there's a statue of Agatha Christie round the corner which I just discovered. Anyway, um, yeah, it's a dead good production, it's really funny, it's written by Holly Stars um, and yeah, it's great. I mean the show uh, originally opened just before Christmas and then obviously we were plunged into another lockdown again so we had to close um, and I think it was about three months, maybe three or four months, uh, but we've come back and um, we've just reopened the show. Uh, and the show's going great. We've had a few rewrites and a few uh, changes to the play to make it a bit more snappy and uh, more together. And I think it kind of works a lot better. Uh, there's a few different people that have replaced some people that couldn't come back to the production um, that have brought a, a whole new energy to the production. We've got some new songs as well. We've got like all, all, all original songs by Flo and Joe uh, that are hilarious. Um, it's really good. You have to come and watch it. It's fabulous. Come down and, and, and see it. And um, who's starring with you on on this play? Death Drop uh, is currently starring uh, myself, Holly Stars that wrote the play. Uh, she's starring in it as well. We've got Willem and Latrice from RuPaul's Drag Race. We've got uh, Myra Dubois that was on uh, Britain's Got Talent. We've got the fabulous Louis Cipher, Don Juan, that are both drag kings. Uh, and then we've got Apple Derriers that's understudying every single part and is amazing. And yeah, I can't believe that she's learned everyone's part and kind of does little cameos in the play as well. So uh, bigs up to Apple's. That's a, a great, great cast. And did you had chance to make uh, some friendships uh, behind the scenes? No, they're all terrible. <laughs> they're all terrible <laughs> human beings. Uh, no, yeah, they're all amazing. Uh, and I'd say that, um, yeah, I think, I think we're, we're all good friends for now anyway. <laughs> see how we go in, in six weeks. We are uh, looking forward to come and, and, and see that. And of course, in the end of the podcast, we're going to put some links to the play too. So one of the questions, one of two questions that we ask all our guests throughout this uh, special series. Uh, the first one, of course, is what does pride means to you? Uh, I think um, pride is th that time that we can all come together and celebrate each other. So it's about taking up space and it's kind of getting rid of all, all of that stuff that, that society kind of puts on queer people, all of that shame and, and stuff kind of goes out of the window and it's a time to, to celebrate each other and be proud of who we are and, uh, and what we've achieved so far. And to carry on fighting that fight actually because you know, even though things are better for us now, um, the, there's places around the world that it, it's not easy to, to be who you want to be. And I think, 
you know that that's a reason to be visible and to march and uh, and to um, to stand up for for what you believe in. Uh, that also answers my second question: is uh, why do you do we still need pride? And you already mentioned some of some of the things there. I think it's being visible and being the voice for people that that maybe don't have have a voice or or, or can't do that. And I think I think that's what's important to, to me anyway. Um, it's about taking up that space and being visible because as, even though we have come so far, we've got so much further to go. Um, you know, even in in this country, you know, there's still homophobic attacks. There's uh, still people uh, getting abused on a on a daily basis. You know, be it um, you know someone shouting something from a car window or or actually being a physical assault, thing, things still do happen even in this country. Uh, and, you know, um, we, we talk about being equal and stuff, but I, I still think we've got a bit of a journey to go. Thank you for that. I think that's that's the the main message uh, of, of this special edition of the podcast to celebrate Pride. We've done a lot, but we still have something else to do. So let's let's carry on. What is next for you? Where can we see you next? Oh, uh, well, you can see me on the West End stage um, in Death Drop uh, up until July the 11th. Uh, then I'll be touring um, various different locations around the UK uh, with Club Kids for the Crystal Method tour. Um, so that's like a Wonderland inspired tour. I'll be at Pride in Manchester, uh, hosting on the main stage with uh, Cheddar, all being well, touching wood. Nothing stopped for any reason. Um, but yeah, I should be um, uh, on the Pride main stage on Pride Sunday. Anaphylatic, thank you so much for your time. I know they're very, very busy. And good luck for, for all your future projects. And we'll stay in touch and uh, uh, keep looking for, for your work. Oh, thank you very much for having me. It was wonderful to speak to you. <laughs> Black Beetle Health is a charity dedicated to promoting health, well-being and equality for LGBTQI plus black and people of colour. Through their innovative health education and promotion methods, community events and the development of a variety of evidence-based peer-reviewed resources, Black Beetle Health aims to redefine the standard of health outcomes for these communities. You may recognise our next guest from our Series 1 episode, Green Materials. Edirex is a drug barbarian who specialises in recycling, redesigning and reusing materials to create their unique drug looks. Out of drag, Edie is non-binary and join us now to discuss what that means and how they have found the drag world as a non-binary drag king. Hi Edie, thank you very much for your time today and thank you for joining us again. And how have things been personally and professionally since we last chat? Oh, I suppose, I try to remember when we last talked, I think everything started opening up again, so that's all a bit exciting. So in terms of performing, all the queer venues are starting to open up and there's a lot more shows and stuff happening, which is all getting a bit ramped up and in some ways a bit overwhelming, but it's uh, it's quite nice that everything's a bit busier now. I'm having to dust off all my beards, but um, um, I'm sure it'll be a, a be fun when I get on stage again. And it's been a, a while, a, a few a few months that we had our conversation on our green edition. Uh, the podcast is now over five and a half thousand downloads. Uh, and what sorts of reactions did you get from friends and colleagues who listened to the episode? 
I remember talking to some people at work about it and they thought it was very, they thought I was being very snooty and were like, oh yes, yeah, so I was on a podcast about uh, recycled materials. Um, but they were all very excited and interested in the idea of more sustainable um, or more sustainable ways of creating things. So that was the main sort of thing people were mainly interested in, I think. I certainly listened to a few episodes and thought it was uh, thought I felt like a bit of an idiot compared to all these incredible designers you've been talking to. That's <laughs> uh, quite amazing stuff people have been talking to. I think we disagree on that one because we think you are incredible artists too. And I think the fact that you came and show your work the way that you did, I think was, was really, really good. As a drag artist, you create some um, exceptional looks from unique materials. And that, of course, is the reason why we ask you to uh, have a conversation with us uh, first place. Uh, um, when did you decide to become a drag artist, first of all? And I know that we touched some of those uh, before, but we want to, to know more about when did you start? Well, I dabbled in it a little bit in the odd sort of party while I was at university. And then when I started working in the film industry, I found that I kind of needed to sort of scratch that performative itch that you can't really do when you're backstage all the time. So I kind of managed to sort of go to an open mic night uh, at a place called Boy Box, um, which unfortunately, well, it used to be in a, a bar, but that called She Soho, but fortunately that doesn't run cabaret anymore. So it's now moved to the glory. But it's kind of a, it's the classic sort of spawning ground of a lot of kings, certainly in London, and actually probably around the UK. To be honest, a lot of people sort of start there and then spread out. Um, so I had a quite sort of that kind of story where I kind of went to an open night night. For some reason, they allowed me back again the month later, and then sort of from there, sort of snowballed and started doing more and more shows and found my foot, found my foot really as to what well, found my style over a few uh, quite a series of months really of. Um, playing around and experimenting and eventually evolving into the weird hairy mess <laughs> that I am today. And how was that journey from that time to where you are now? I mean, very fun, very exciting. It's taken to you a lot of very interesting places, actually. Uh, that's one of the beautiful things about drag is that, you know, one one day you could be performing in like the back of some dingy warehouse where you've got you can get ready in a toilet that's currently in use um, and then the next minute you could be performing you know abroad uh, you know I was lucky enough before lockdown obviously to go to a place like Iceland which was an incredible experience what I, which I never imagined I'd be able to do um, as a you know other than as a holiday I suppose um, so yeah it's been quite a, a wild and varied journey and again I think the thing that's so wonderful about drag as a creative outlet is that you have complete uh, autonomy of what you do in a complete direction so if you go one minute I want to do singing or I want to do dancing I want to do uh, more abstract visual looks all of it's completely free game there's no real rules uh, in the same way that other uh, performance styles might have um, which make keeps it exciting and fun and interesting it means that I've had to be allowed to grow and experiment kind of as much as I want which is lovely really. It's very interesting. You, you talk about, of course, what you do. You are a drag king or a drag barbarian. Before I uh, um, start talking to you, I had a conversation a few, a few months ago on the first episode. I need to confess, I didn't really know anyone that was doing what you do. I know um, the lots of drag queens and I do uh, watch uh, lots of shows with, with the drag queens. How um, is for you be a drag king in a, a predominantly uh, queen-orientated world? I mean... It's, it can be extremely frustrating at times that um, you do get some producers and, you know, certainly some mainstream shows um, that completely look over uh, drag kings 
as an entire genre. They're like, they're not a thing. It doesn't work. It's not punk. And that's extreme frustrating because obviously some people's first sort of dip into the world of drag is the mainstream of drag performance. Let's say things like RuPaul's Drag Race in particular is a very prime suspect and prime culprit of this kind of um, closed-minded and gatekeepering idea of drag. And it means a lot of people who come into it then also think that's all you can do with drag so either it might put people off people who would love to be performers but feel like they're not allowed um, and also it means that sometimes you get audiences who are not wanting to go and see drag kings however i will say that a lot of the time people come to a drag show for the drag queens and then if the king there they are just excited and enjoy them just as much it's not a you know we're better than them or they're better than us it's we're all equally valid and incredible performers um and it's just it's a shame that some audiences aren't allowed to experience other sides of drag you know they'll only be like they'll only be able to go to see shows that are one very particular style and so many people are sort of locked off um so it can be frustrating but again also it's quite nice always going in and being like i'm i know i'm the first of this style that you've seen and i want to excite you and you, i know that you're not going to see have seen this act before because you haven't seen anything like this before so it's you're always going to be a bit more mind-blowing which is quite nice <laughs> so it's it's got its pluses and minuses as it were but um times are changing you're bringing something different to to, to the scene too i think that's really interesting and he definitely got our our attention uh because of your work so uh during a period of time we're not even looking at if he's a, a, a drag queen or a drag king it was someone to have you are someone to have a great talent and that's that's uh, that's really interesting you already mentioned of course the uk drag race and, and we had someone on on last edition uh, identify himself um, as a non-binary and you also um, uh, went out of drag identify yourself as non-binary and can you tell us uh, what it means to be non-binary well, I suppose it's different for each person, but for me, I suppose it's kind of, I first sort of realised I was non-binary basically when I learned the word, um, but I kind of, as a child, uh, I used to joke that I was a Hovis child, you know, best of both. Um, I never quite felt comfortable being viewed as female because it just doesn't sit right with me. I've never been one to wear dresses or anything like that. And then obviously for a while you kind of go, oh, maybe that's, you're a tomboy, but that didn't sit right either. Um, so non-binary is kind of a nice sort of, you're in the middle ground. I suppose for me, it's more like view me as a person. Um, don't look, don't put me with all these this extra baggage of, you know, gender stereotypes. You know, if I want to, and I think since more em embracing myself as um, non-binary, I've then in my my drag say, even though it's very hyper masculine, I've kind of embraced much more. Of like, yes, I will wear skirts and more glitter and more eyeshadow and have more theatrical more queen style makeup even even though it's got a mustache and a beard but it's um it's kind of for me yeah being non-binary is just kind of a nice way of releasing yourself from all the confinement that you might get with identifying in sort of a, a gender that doesn't sit right with you because i've not i don't feel like if i'm doing something i'm doing it because i've been forced to or pressured into doing it i'm doing it because i want to which is very freeing very interesting and you already mentioned that you identify or realize there was something different very early um, age um, and how was um, the journey was the journey difficult when you realized that you uh, identify yourself as non-binary i feel well, i've been quite lucky that my journey as it were has been quite easy because again i think because from such a young age i knew, yeah knew i was you know i wasn't i, I was i don't want to be viewed as a girl 
that's annoying don't like that um so and then i think everyone around me kind of just accepted that very easy i think because it was just such a huge part of my personality like i don't wear dresses blah blah blah. and there are obviously a few times where growing up there'll be times people go oh it's prom you've got to wear this and blah 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 but um which were quite uncomfortable but in general um i've been quite lucky that people around me have been very accepting and um not really i've never felt too out of my comfort zone really um and i suppose also it's become has the hidden advantage as well it's occasionally able to code switch quite easily so uh i used to work in quite a predominantly you know cis male uh dominated industry which was a film industry and so being able to kind of more lean into that sort of more masculine side meant i could blend in and fit in a lot better which i think was handy obviously now it's nice to be like i'm all both of these things but um it's been an interesting journey but i think it's uh i've definitely felt a lot happier now finding the word does make things a lot easier because it, it means you can sum it up to people in a much um more succinct way rather than being like oh i'm a bit bit this and a bit that so i think it's it's a, it's a beautiful thing we've got the right language for it now which we, i didn't i didn't have when i was younger but um i suppose that's a beautiful thing about learning new words really that's great um this is a controversial question so just uh, uh brace ourselves on that one but whenever a celebrity comes out as an unbinary uh, they are labeled and we had this like i said just a few a few months ago in one of the tv shows as attention seekers um, what effect can that have on someone that, uh, like you mentioned, you know, uh, identify uh, themselves as non-binary? What kind of effect for someone that haven't came out yet uh, could have this type of, of press? I think it's a sh it's a shame that um, they get labelled as attention seeking. I think it's you know awful. I think it's terrible that anyone would um, turn around to anyone who's coming out with a huge fact and a bit of information about themselves, a big truth about themselves. And I think it's awful that someone will go, oh, you're doing that for attention. Um, but on the whole, I feel that just having more people being open about it and saying, yes, I identify this as well is is always going to be good because it's, it's just more visibility. So even though the, the press will be there for a bit saying, oh, they're attention seeking or they're only doing this for, um, you know, more views or more people buy their songs or whatever, blah, blah, blah you'll always get that but that will die down I need the hope that then that person will still go yep yeah, you know I did have the backlash but at the end of the day I still identify as non-binary and I think that's incredibly important that um then people you know young people who are questioning themselves can look up to them and go oh okay I am that and I think you know certainly again when I was younger it would be the you'd have sort of queer icons that would be hidden in sort of um you know children's shows or things you might watch but in general the sort of more overtly positive queer role models would be hidden away from you until you were a teenager or a bit older and i think it was a it's a huge shame that then you have this huge this whole world opens up to you but it's kind of it's a shame you can't learn about it when you're younger so the fact that um you know celebrities like was it demi lovato she, uh, they've recently come out as non-binary um and the fact that they've done that i think is really good because they're a you know, prominent, well-respected and well-regarded artist. And I think young non-binary people also who haven't are still questioning might look up to them and go, oh yeah, they've done it. They've summed up exactly how I feel. Um, yes, some people have backlash, but we'll ignore that. And, um, and hopefully they'll be able to do more research and more kind of thinking within themselves to then um, come to, you know, whatever conclusion they need to come to about their own identity. 
I think the reason, like I said, it, it can be a controversial question because it depends on how people see that. I think is really interesting, um, and and this is the right place for us to talk about that uh, uh, celebrating Pride Month and and having a special edition of four episodes. We're so lucky to do that uh, here, uh, where we're going to talk about the the LGBT plus uh, community. And talking about that, of course, I'm going to ask you another controversial question because we're going to talk about this community that we have. We are talking about here the LGBT plus uh, community. Have you ever been victim of any homophobia due to your uh, sexuality or uh, non-binary identification from the community? Well, I suppose I've been the victim of things like, uh, I suppose, sexism, uh, and that, and I suppose it arguably things like homophobia. That sometimes when you go into, say, particularly at, I mean, it's, this sounds bad, but I've, I've experienced this most at sort of mainstream pride events where. Um, people kind of make, make a very snap decision of if you if you're there and your people perceive you as male that means you're a gay man and if you're there and they people perceive you as female that means you're a lesbian and there's no middle ground and that so people automatically put you in a box um, and you could argue that is a form of sort of homophobia because then people will attribute all these stereotypes to you and go oh, you know this is okay because you're this and I can um, you know so I've had people who have sort of groped me and that kind of thing at pride where because they think it's okay because like well you know i'm gay you're gay it's fine like it's not that's not fine it's still you're still groping somebody <laughs> so i've had you know experiences like that and again um i suppose within sort of the performing community where you'd have situations where people um will go you know your your performance style isn't valid because of who you are you know you're not a again you're not a cisgendered gay man that's the only side of performance I want to see. You're not that, and I don't want to see it. Um, so you do get situations like that. Again, I feel I've been extremely lucky that I've not come across it as much as other people I know have, which is um, I feel extremely fortunate for. Um, I don't know why I've managed to be so lucky in avoiding it. I don't know whether it's just because people are just I'm so much of a mess that like we don't we don't even know where to start. Um, but uh, so yeah, there are. I think it's again you've got more. I know a lot of people I um, who I'm friends with and who I work with who experience um, transphobia at, from within the community, which I think is awful. Um, again, whereas people go, we think LGBT just means the G, essentially. Um, or again, actually, when I've been at um, sort of more queer female um, events, um, They've also been like, this is this is a show, this is for lesbians, this is only for cisgendered lesbians. And then anyone who enters that space who is outside of that can sometimes, so like me and a couple of, so me as a non-binary performer and um, some other performers who might be trans, when we entered that space, there was a bit of level of animosity there of like we were invading their space when actually it was meant to be a space for everyone, but they didn't seem to like that. So there are still a lot of issues that need to be unpacked within the LGBT community. Um, and again, often the fact that I, even I'm guilty of it, often I end up shortening it to LGBTQ. Well, obviously there's so many more letters that need to be, uh, that are within that acronym. Um, so yeah, it's not a, it's not a perfect community, but and, and is any community perfect? I think anyone that gives off an air of everything being perfect and funky dory, it's probably a bit of a weird cult to be honest. And there's, there's probably many more things wrong with it. So why do we still need pride? 
Why do we still be pride? I mean, I think it's, again, the fact that every year when people start celebrating uh, pride, uh, you get thousands of people responding like, well, why do we need pride? Well, you know, why, why, where's the straight pride and blah, blah, blah. And I think the fact is, you know, we still live in a world where, um, you know, around the world, there are whole loads of countries where people might be killed for their sexuality and their gender identity. You still get people who are, you know, unable to live and marry the people they love. Um, you still get children who can get disowned. There's whole hosts of sort of, I suppose, queer phobia is a nice sort of umbrella term around the world. So I think while that's still an issue, we're still going to need pride. Um, in the same way, you know, while we c we're going to always need to have memorials and sort of you know things like uh like black history month we've still got racism so we still need to have this and i think even if we solved things like um solved all homophobia we probably would still want to have a pride because it would also be important to reflect on if if we were to completely cure all queer phobia around the world i think it's important to still have pride because it's not been an easy an easy route and it did start as a protest and i think it's important to remember that as well that there's a lot of talk of um or corporate pride where companies will i think i saw a a tweet this morning where you know you've got lots of these companies who will say they support pride but only in countries where it's convenient for their brand so it's very clear that from there they'll have sort of you know that company uk branch will have a big rainbow flag on it and then if it for the russian one it will still be in their normal colors and it's like you know the fact that we still have places where it's like i will be supportive of you but only when it's convenient to me is also an issue so i think it's we're gonna we need pride just to it's more of also it's just awareness really to be like we're still here we're gonna keep fighting because there's still so many people who do not have all the rights that they deserve to have um you know again there's so much transphobia still in this country as well um and i think it's some people seem to think that yes we've got some form of gay rights it's finished we're all done great it's if you're a um a very particular type of um, you know, the this, this stereotype being, if you're a very particular type of sort of cis, cis white gay man, you're fine and therefore pride's fine. But when actually it's not, there's so many people, um, you know, queers within minority groups, um, queers with disabilities, queers who are uh, with different gender identities. So we're going to need, we need pride as um, for as long as these groups still need supporting, really. And pride should be about everyone within the rainbow as opposed to just you know one particular group great message uh, uh, this is one of two questions that we're going to ask to all our guests throughout this special edition and the second one is what does pride mean to you i suppose pride is for me as a as a concept in terms of the event it's all about visibility and being proud of who you are and accepting of who you are and letting and being proud of it in a way so other people can then also accept you for who you are because um, it does take especially when you have you identify as different from the norm as it were not wanting to use the word normal but you know what is what is viewed by society is this is the default setting if you if you're proud of what you are if you if you deviate from that i think that's important in yeah, and um for visibility and for other people who might identify similarly to, they might just so they can see there's other people around them and i suppose pride personally uh i suppose it's just about again of being happy happy with who you are and i think again it's that's a harder one because i think again there's a huge 
there is a high percentage of mental illness within the queer community. So I suppose pride on a personal level is just finding ways of being comfortable with, with who you are and being happy with who you are and how and finding ways of making that happen. I think so. Yeah, I think pride is just finding those communities that you can find that safety, I suppose. Thank you very much. Great, great message. Uh, it's always great to talk to you and also uh, it's always great to, to follow you on, on social media and see what you are doing. And uh, uh, of course, as last question of this of this conversation here, uh, what are the projects uh, and and the performance plan for the future after the pandemic? Uh, oh, OK. So I've recently finished. It's, it's still online. Uh, so a little plug there. A, a choose your own adventure that's called Beard Snatch. So shamefully ripped off of the Black Mirror version, um, Bandersnatch, but that's the choose your own adventure. You've basically got to escape a the, escape the glory, which is a, an excellent uh, queer bar in London. Um, so that's got like seven endings and the whole idea is people have to go and explore. So that's a digital thing. Uh, and then my plan is of course, to then turn that into a live show at some point. Uh, so that's on the horizon. Uh, I'm currently also working on Oh, but the show's tomorrow, so I think this is going to be too late <laughs> for uh, for when this podcast gets released. But I'm also doing a thing with the Glory, which is also they gave me funding, which created Beard Stash, and I'm also creating new material um, for that show. Um, and yeah, just lots of sort of festivals and other interesting things. But my main focus is this sort of choose your own adventure thing. And also, I remember I think we mentioned in the, my last episode, I do still want to do. Um, drag keep challenge because i think that'd be great whether it's like a charity event or something which get a big part of stuff um maybe raise some money for charity and make a make lots of fun drag costumes that'd be great fun <laughs> so i'll see if i can get that off the ground maybe i am also running a show at matchstick pie house which is a drag game show uh called dragiators so it's 50 percent cabaret 50 percent games uh so that's going to be starting again in july so i will be spamming my social media with that as soon as I get all the posters ready. That's great projects and uh, we're going to leave uh, the links for your projects and of course again for your social media uh, after in the end of, of the podcast. Uh, I think the, the idea that you talk about the materials we're still going to talk to you about that and we're still going to um, help as much as we can because I think there's really interesting things that uh, we good fellow um, can 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 do uh, with you and see where that takes us. Uh, we'll keep an eye on your on your career and um, thank you so much for your time because I know that you're incredibly busy uh, to come uh, back and have another conversation with us. No worries, it's been a lovely time. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Our last guest today is Christian Taylor. Christian is a gay artist based in Manchester. He creates unique pieces by painting on glass to create shadows and spaces between the layers. One of Christian's skills is bringing an LGBTQI flavor to his work, expertly displaying pride all across Manchester. Hello Christian, thank you very much for your time today. Good morning, no problem at all. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you become an artist? Sure, so I think it was probably about five years ago um, I uh, I was in I went to Whitworth Art Gallery and there was a, a big piece of art there that was basically a, a big piece of perspex with some paint splattered on it and I, I liked it and it was somebody's birthday coming up and I thought well I'll try and recreate that and um, so I, I literally had a, a box frame made and splattered some paint on it so I thought well I'll do myself one um, and that was on, on the wall in my apartment and then my friends kept seeing it and saying oh where'd you get that from 
and I ended up doing a couple for friends and it, it got to a point I thought, oh, maybe I can make a business out of it. That's essentially where I, where I started out and then it's, it's obviously developed a lot from there, but that, that, was the, that was the beginning. A lot of your work is themed on Manchester, but you also do a lot of LGBT plus focused art. Is that down to commissions or it is a choice you made? So a combination, I think it started off um, as a choice I made to do. Um, on the, the Manchester aspect of it, as an example, first of all, I think I did first did the Manchester Bee maybe, probably maybe about 2016. Um, and when I first moved to Manchester, I didn't know what significance that had here because I'm, I'm from near Wigan originally. And that went down very well. And when, when it became uh, Pride uh, that year, um, I thought, well, I'll do a, like a rainbow version of it, um, which I did. And that again was, was very popular. Um, so it, a lot of the stuff that kind of that I do will be based on what, what I want to do and then I'll, I'll put it out there and people buy it. Um, but then I'll, I get a lot of commissions as well. So th there's a combination of, of me choosing to do LGBT or Manchester focused stuff, but also customers commission a lot of it as well. And your style of art is quite interesting, of course. Uh, how is the process and how difficult it is to get uh, the piece of art that you, you, you do? Sometimes it can be easy, um, sometimes very difficult. Um, because of the, the process that I do and with painting on glass, um, you know, if you were painting on paper, for example, or a canvas, the, the paper or canvas will absorb the paint um, to some degree. You're still going to need to let it dry at some point to do more. But with glass, the, you don't have any of that. Um, whatever you put on there, it, it, if you put another colour on top or touch it in any way, it will just bleed somewhere else. So um, I think that's one of the difficult things with the process that I have to... Uh, let each layer dry and sometimes I, I use a hairdryer to speed that up a little bit but um, yeah not normally you've got to do each layer as it comes and a lot of the time as well um, I don't actually know what it's going to look like until I turn it over at the end and um, because there's so many different layers some pieces can take weeks and weeks to do um, and there's so many different layers go into it and different aspects and making sure the the lighting on someone's face, for example, looks right, and um, that by the time you turn it over, it's um, well, it, it's great news when it works, but obviously sometimes it doesn't work, so it, it can go both ways. Very interesting. Um, have you used any interesting or unique materials for your art? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say unique materials. I, I use things like um, gold leaf, um, and I use a lot of different glitters, like one called uh, diamond dust super reflective and it, the, the difficulty because i do it on the back of the glass and um, it will always have the same finish on the other side like a high gloss smooth sharp finish to it so whatever i put into the glass like i, I bought some swarovski crystals to use a while ago but as soon as you set them in um in a varnish it, like a lot of the glitters it takes away the shine from it so it's trying to kind of get the balance of, of what you use, what's going to give the right effect on the other side, if that makes sense. Yeah, interesting. Uh, and, and like I said, uh, some of those materials we also uh, uh, supply, but it's really interesting to see they, they've been created or used more on scientific world and then suddenly the art will take over and, and, uh, and use them and it's quite, quite interesting. So this podcast, of course, is about uh, the community, the LGBT uh, plus community fo focus on art. Um, have you ever had any difficulties in art world because of your sexuality? I personally have not had anything. Um, I think one of the, the differences between my, my main job of, of recruitment, which I do kind of nine to five, um, 
you, you will always have a, an aspect of kind of keeping your personal life to your to yourself. But in terms of my art, I'm always, I mean, I don't run around shouting that I'm gay, but I'm obviously equally very open about the fact that I am um, and use the kind of the, the platform that I've built up in order to promote uh, issues and things that, that need raising and support within the LGBT community. Um, and I've never had any problems. I mean, um, I've had a lot of people unfollow me, um, but I'm, I'd rather that. Um, I don't want people following me who do kind of stand against things that I that I believe in in that way. So, but I've never had any anything negative said in relation to, to, to my sexuality that I'm aware of anyway. You already mentioned that art is not your full-time job and you work in recruitment. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your, your, uh, your other uh, full-time job? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I do recruitment uh, in the oil and gas industry, predominantly overseas. Don't really do much in, in the UK. Um, I've been at the, the current company I'm at for eight years now. And prior to that, I was in IT recruitment for about six, seven years as well. Um, so, yes, I mean, obviously my art very, very different to, uh, to that. I, I, I got recruited into the position I'm in because, um, well, because of my experience, but also I've got a degree in geology. Totally totally different to uh, to my art yeah interesting and in that area oil and gas industry there's much inclusivity and visibility do you have any any cases where that uh, sexuality of the the candidate was uh, something that need to be considered and no nothing in in terms of you know our clients would never say mention sexuality it, it's irrelevant essentially you know they, they want the best people for the job and um, the company that i work for um, one of the biggest oil and gas recruitment companies in the world and they're extremely inclusive, uh, diverse. Everybody knows at work that, that about my sexuality. Nobody nobody cares, essentially. Everyone just wants you to be happy and, uh, and healthy and, and good at your job. And it's, it, it's as simple as that. I think when it comes to, to dealing with clients, if I was dealing with a client in the UK uh, or in Europe generally, um, if they asked me if I've got a girlfriend, I would openly say, well, no, I'm gay. So <laughs> I don't, and, and it's no issue. If I was talking to clients or, or candidates uh, over in countries like Russia or Africa, then I wouldn't necessarily be open about that just because of the uh, kind of beliefs towards it all over there. And of course, this podcast is all about pride and, and pride month. Uh, I think this question is one of the questions we ask all our guests this and uh, in, in the next few few episodes why do we still need pride it's a difficult one this one um i don't think there's any any doubt that, that that we do need a pride i think we're very lucky in this country in terms of the progress that we've made and as a result of all the the people who's fought for our kind of acceptance and that over years gone by and um, obviously there's a lot of, of progress being made but there's still an awful long way to go I think everybody's different with it. I, I've been very lucky in the sense of when I came out to my family and friends years ago, nothing changed. Everybody supported me just the way that they did before. But I do have close friends who, you know, who were thrown out and uh, and, and had a had a totally different story on on that side of it. So I do think, you know, as an overall, for the sake of everybody, because there's not everybody's going to be in a lucky position like myself. And um, you know, there's people being killed all over the world because of the sexuality. And you know, if, if we can keep keep on uh, raising awareness and and I suppose uh, kind of educating people on it, then that that can only be a good thing. And uh, you already mentioned, of course, you coming out. Uh, what does Pride mean to you? In terms of like the actual Pride celebrations and Pride Month and everything like that, there's two parts to it for me. Um, 
I use it in terms of my art. I use it as a uh, an excuse to to promote more on on my my social media platforms. I think like across my different platforms, I've got about eight and a half thousand followers. Obviously, that's eight and a half thousand more than I have on on my personal ones. So I can say something on on my my personal Instagram or whatever it might be, and nobody cares or really listens about it. But when you've got a platform uh, that that I've built up, um, I can use that in order to to, to kind of keep keep promoting so i do use pride time as a as an excuse another reason to to promote about things um in terms of um lgbt issues that that i think need to be done and i personally love the pride celebrations because i get to spend all the time with my with my friends and supporting and watching the parade doing work for charities i do an awful lot of work with my my artwork for charity again um and and again i use the kind of the the time at pride in order to to kind of push that out even further thank you that's that's a great way to to talk about about what does pride mean to you and i think i think you're right it's a difficult question but that the interesting thing is for each one of us you know put out the the what what that means for us so thank you for that christian what does the future hold for you uh, well, hopefully, I'll become a massive famous artist <laughs> one day. Um, probably won't happen till I'm uh, till I'm dead, as, as usual with with artists. But um, in at the on the twenty fourth of June, um, I've got uh, my first solo exhibition for quite a long time, and um, that's going to be at La Colina in the Northern Quarter. Um, going to be releasing a, a lot of new artwork there, and um, I'm also doing that as a, a as a fundraising event as well for George House Trust. Um, 10% of, of all the sales from the evening and as a result of the evening will be going to George House Trust um, and as well there'll be a raffle um, where you can win a piece of my art and also got uh, donations from La Colina, um, Gotham Hotel and Be Your Gallery and there's going to be a couple of other surprises as well essentially to, to raise money for George House Trust. Christian, we're all going to keep an eye on your on your work and your art. We're also going to leave links uh, to your social media here at the end of, of the podcast. Thank you very much for your time today. No, thank you. It's been good speaking to you. Thank you. Next week, we'll be looking at LGBTQI plus health. We are joined by Dr. George Forgan-Smith and Harvey Kennedy-Pete. Dr. George is a gay doctor based in Melbourne who specializes in LGBTQI plus health. He is also an activist and advocate for change and equality. He joins us to shed light on the health requirements of the LGBTQI plus community. Harvey Kennedy Pitt is CEO and founding director of Black Beetle Health, the charity who we have chosen to support throughout this series. He joins us to discuss what the charity does and why it's important to meet the health needs for the LGBTQI people of colour community. To learn more about Black Beetle Health or to donate, pop over to their website at blackbeetlehealth.co.uk and of course, make sure you follow them on social media too. All other Material Inside podcasts can also be found at materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.